Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. The three of us are here this week to cover what is a very full episode of content for what was seemed very little on-track action in a Monaco Grand Prix. <laughs> it's the, longest, <laughs> the longest notice I've seen all season for the most uneventful race, mainly because most of it was cut to Lance Stroll bumping a curb. <laughs> That's <laughs> all the notes are. All the notes are <laughs> just about Stroll. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm your host this week, Tom, and I'm joined as always by Chris. Hello. And Stu. Hello. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a weird one, wasn't it? I, I typically, Monaco, everything went down on the Saturday of note, I guess. But there were one or two little bits that we can pick up from the race, I guess, weren't there? Yeah. Like, interesting bits. Bits and bobs. When I mean, we were Saturday, allowed to watch them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Saturday was great. Like, I really enjoyed qualifying. It, Standard Monaco. A little bit of an anticlimax yeah. in the end, but still just like, just so much fun to watch them full tilt around that place. It never yeah. looks any less ridiculous, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's my favorite thing about Monaco is just how, it's, it's, it's the circuit where the cars look the fastest. Yeah. The onboards yeah. that always look ridiculous. Even though it's actually where they're the slowest. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's really not weird. bizarre at all because everything's close up and, and yeah. oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. properly brilliant. Um, and maybe the biggest surprise of the weekend was Ferrari were fast. Fast. Fastest, yeah. in fact, <laughs> arguably. I don't, I don't think anyone really expected that. Well, Chris, I did say look out for a surprise performance last week. That's pretty general, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of prediction league results would beg to differ that nobody saw that coming, Chris. But in True. hindsight, some of them may have been watching the free practice sessions before submitting results. Good point. Yes. So, Big time. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, I, I guess this is just situational, right? We're not expecting Ferrari to be in the mix going for maybe at some tracks. <laughs> Could be. Like Hungary, Hungary, Singapore, maybe. I, do we think that maybe what this identifies is that Ferrari's issue is that sort of that top end performance, like they've got the slow speed stuff down, and the the problem is maybe the high speed corners and the flat out stuff, and that which obviously is the majority of the season. <laughs> the problem is going quickly. Hmm. The, well, the, the problem is power, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. So, like in in that scenario, the the chassis is actually a good one. It's just that the mm -hmm. engine isn't capable of the, the same top end as everybody yeah. else. Exactly, that's exactly the case. They're down on power. I mean, mm. it's, it's so 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 clear from this weekend. Excellent chassis, excellent drivability, yeah. which points yeah. towards not much power. Yeah, yeah. So, isn't it? I mean, the Alphas getting the jump that they did as well probably goes to yeah. say the yeah, same thing. Really it shows that they've got a you know, a half-decent midfield chassis that's being hindered by the power unit. Yeah. Do we think Do we think if everyone had got to do their second runs, Leclerc would have kept pole? No. no. I think Max and maybe Bottas would have been faster than him. See, my money um, was on signs all weekend. I had a feeling signs, signs was, was going to... Yeah. Because he was livid when he saw the red flag come out. Yeah. Well, I mean, they all were particularly livid. Yeah. Max's um, radio was 90% bleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Max would have got it, and I think Science would have been very close behind him. Um, that's my feeling. And mm -hmm. having watched the onboards as well, like 
done we did, we did a few like onboard comparisons and um he was like super he was just he, he was quicker he was through the first yeah. sector yeah. and halfway through the second sector he was quicker there's no yeah. doubt about that and it, and it's just it's just really unfortunate it's a shame I, I wish there was something in the rules to stop this from happening because it's not right yeah because indycar i believe have a rule where if you cause a session to be stopped you lose your fastest two times i think in qualifying well I'm, um, i mean it's interesting you bring that up because someone did mention this it's, it's kind of in inbox later but it could bring it up now if you wanted yeah go for it uh let me find it it was um i was trying to find it now tom Don't Noll. put it yes it was uh so it was tom Noll said after what happened with Leclerc in Q3, do you think F1 need to introduce a rule similar to what they have in IndyCar, where if a driver, uh, sorry, where a driver would be penalised for causing a red flag during a qualifying session? I believe that they would have their fastest lap time deleted and are unable to advance through to the next session should there be one. So, mm. um, I, I guess the argument there would be you'd get your fastest lap deleted and maybe you wouldn't go through to Q3 if it happened in Q2, yeah. for example. Mm. I don't know if that's necessary, but I, I think. Another way around it is that it's almost like an aggregate time thing where, you you know, you give the cars that are out on track. If you say there's a red flag, I know mm. they'd run to very, very tight schedules and stuff like that in Formula One, but it ought to be the case that in these kinds of situations, say if there's a red flag in the last three minutes of a session, yeah, of a qualifying session, then they just add add three or four minutes on so that everyone can get like, back in, get like kind of stoppage time again. in the footy. Kind exactly. Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it, that, it would that's make not sense. A bad idea, actually, because know, that I, way the the driver who set the time isn't punished for setting their time and then pushing to set a faster time because they shouldn't be punished for trying to go quicker. You know that, that that's what they're suggesting there is that. Yeah, if you try and go quicker, you run the risk of punishment from from causing an accident, and that there should never be anything standing in the way, mentally or physically or in the rules. There should never be a barrier to a driver trying to extract the yeah. maximum from a car. So I think that's a flawed concept. The the uh, the IndyCar version of doing it. I think if you could just add that bit of extra time to give everyone else a chance to put their lap in. Maybe they just have the rule for Monaco and nowhere else, just to try it out, just Maybe. to stop this stuff. All, all the, yeah, all those closed street circuits or something. I, I because part of me though just kind of can't help feeling like that's just sort of part of the game. Sometimes it happens yeah. and you get unlucky. And I mean, mm. obviously, set your lap sooner is is another yeah. Monaco be, quick, be quicker sooner. Monaco is an extreme example because at the end of the day, if qualifying doesn't go well for you, Monaco, that's your weekend done. Yeah, so well, not just that. If if you have a if you make a small mistake at Monaco, it can lead to a red flag. It's inherently yeah. more likely to be a red flag yeah, at Monaco totally. than at other tracks. Well, yeah. I mean, you've only got to look at what caused the accident itself. Like anywhere else, I mean, it's a corner in the last few years that's been the most notorious for it. I and I genuinely, I, I genuinely think that the reason for it has been. You know, since they opened up the exit corner to allow the runoff, the, like the escape, mm -hmm. it didn't used to be as open as it is now. And I think that that's basically what's like kind of led to this is they want to push that entry so much because they know they can carry so much through the exit. Well, the second part now, now that it's as open it, as it, it is. Yeah, it's more inviting to them. Yeah, And it, le it leads to these kind of like on the limit rubbing that 
entry yeah. point, which is the best shot. In oh Formula yeah, he's an awesome oh, yeah, shot. Absolutely. Like the, when they get it so close that like the rubber from the front wall of the tire rubs against it, but the rim of the, the wheel misses the barrier. Yeah, like there yeah. were one or two over the weekend that got it that close that the rubber was. You could see the rubber like pressing against the wall and the the rim just misses it and they yeah. get around the corner yeah. and like they're almost like relying on the car understeering a little bit as they yeah. turn into that corner yeah if you watch it's oh it's fantastic the judgment and the precision involved in getting through that corner at the fastest possible speed is just that's why they get paid the big bucks isn't it yeah, yeah. it's also why i can't set a good lap around monaco no matter how hard i try <laughs> Digital Monaco. <laughs> Obviously digitally, yeah. <laughs> digital Monaco. Um, I guess that leads us up to Leclerc, doesn't it? We should talk about the fact that he binned it on his second run. Um, yeah. yeah. So obviously the instant concern was his gearbox. Ferrari said straight away that if they had any, if there's any indication of damage, they wouldn't, wouldn't be gambling. They'd just take the five-place penalty on the chin, starting sixth and getting some points is better than not finishing the race, which I can agree with. Um, they said after extensive checks, they were happy the gearbox had, quote, no apparent defects, and they would start from pole. Uh-huh. But obviously, as we saw, he only went around a few corners before he, well, he initially reported gear issues. Um, Ferrari, after the race, confirmed it was actually a failure on the left hub drive shaft wheel. Hmm. Yeah, whatever that specifically means. Um, made, it made itself apparent eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they said the issue hadn't been identified uh, when they were checking the car, and they needed to go away and investigate why this issue wasn't spotted. Um, they did say they basically changed all the parts they are allowed to under Park Ferme rules uh, overnight. That doesn't obviously include that part. And Michael Massey said there was never any discussion with them about changing any parts other than mm. the ones they're legally allowed to change. Uh, Ferrari is saying they can't say for certain whether it was related to the crash or not. I think that's a bit of an attempt to spare Leclerc some blushes, to be honest. I I would be very surprised if these... I mean, the fact that it's on the left-hand side of the car and it was the right-hand side that took the damage is maybe a little strange, but I'd be extremely surprised if the... This was unrelated. Yeah, I, I can't yeah. see it being unrelated. I mean, drive shafts don't just break by themselves. The, no, usually. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, they can. Yeah. They they can like. We didn't. No, no one else had a drive shaft failure throughout the entire. Weekend. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. So there wasn't like there anything. Yeah, there was not. The only time you get any kind of failure like that to that section of the car is if it's had an impact. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's hitting curbs too hard. It's hitting parts of the track that are particularly bumpy. It's rubbing against walls. It's smashing into walls. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, to, to I, I thought at the start of the race before you know when they said, "Oh, we're not we're not going to be able to compete." The whole thing smacked of trying to save face. Like so obvious that yeah. it's going to be something yeah, wrong and it's with like... the car as a result of the crash. Like, I I just don't buy that. It has nothing to do with the crash. I don't. Like, I get... And obviously, there's a lot of sympathy for Leclerc, and I get it. It really sucked for him. He's, he's never even finished in Monaco, let alone, like, get a good result there. This time, he didn't even get to start the race. But at the same time, the whole thing's kind of his fault. Like, yeah. he... Oh, I have no sympathy. It's competitive sport. Yeah, if, if, yeah. You, <laughs> if you're on a yeah. shot for position, you put it in a wall, then you kind of only have to have yourself to blame, unfortunately. Um... I mean, it was a real shame for him. Like, it would have been yeah. 
it, I mean, it, again, we've never made any secret of the fact that none of us are particularly big Ferrari fans, but it was really nice to have them competing at the front and like rubbing shoulders with Mercedes and Red Bull again. Like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah. Really what, what are you talking see. about, Chris? I've been I've been cheering for <laughs> science all weekend. <laughs> I've, I'm the biggest Ferrari fan in the world. Uh, see, you can be a science fan and a Clare fan without necessarily being a Ferrari fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is true. Um, but yeah, like it was good to have them up there, and it was a real shame. Like for him to win his home race would have been a really great story to see. Um, not necessarily good for the rest of the championship, but great to see in his own right. But yeah, didn't happen unfortunately for him. Um, I guess we should talk about who did start the race. Yeah, yes. <laughs> people who actually so were in that's, the race. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll start with the championship contenders. Uh, Verstappen won from effectively pole position. Just never really looked challenged, did he? There was there was one brief window when it looked like Signs was catching him, and then that just went away again immediately. Yeah, um, he was controlling the race the entire time. Completely. Um, it's a really important victory. Like we've us and lots of other people have said, this was a must-win race for Red Bull, and they did it in some fashion, didn't they? Um, yeah. yeah. The strategy what, this weekend was absolutely nailed. Yeah, like we criticised Red Bull for strategy a few times this season, actually, but did they literally didn't put a foot wrong? Yeah. Well, you said it. You said it the other week, Chris. You, you can't show up you said that you can't show up with just a fast car if you want to beat mercedes and it's almost like they were listening to you like (laughs) this weekend they showed up that yes they showed up with the fastest car and yes they showed up with the best strategy the the best drivers the and and you you know there's no denying that i think they probably did have they definitely had the best driver around monaco on this weekend yeah on on this particular weekend in history um Mm. Arguably, this maybe the second best driver as well, given that he went from Perez went from what was it ninth, uh, to, ninth fourth. to fourth, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, and only two of those retirements, yeah. And th- there was strategy involved in that as well. I think it was overcut some of it, yeah, but... overcut three people, which is yeah incredible. Like yeah. that, we've sort of jumping ahead a bit here, but yeah, the Perez Perez's individual performance and the strategy they put him on was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. so just Red Bull. Absolutely killed it this weekend. Yeah, pretty There's much no perfect. Denying it. And yeah, perfect week. Almost, almost not quite perfect. One, two would have been a perfect weekend. Yeah. but as near to perfect as they were going to get from where their drivers qualified, which is yeah, yeah, an amazing absolutely. Result. And they're one point ahead in the championship now, which I yeah, don't think has happened. I think who was the when was the last time anyone other than Mercedes left? Do you want, do you want, do you want some stats? I'd love some stats. <laughs> Can we hear about all the first time championship? things because i've hey, not heard any of it at guys, all did you this know weekend. that uh, Verstappen <laughs> has never led the driver championship before say what has he not no way <laughs> um <laughs> some actual more interesting stats underneath that though it's the first time a non-mercedes driver has led the championship or mercedes as a team haven't led the constructor championship in the entire turbo hybrid era so, so that goes back to 2014 it's that also yeah. It's also the first time a Honda-powered car has led the championship since Senna won his third title in 1991. That is also insane. In true Honda style, they're probably going to win the championship just <laughs> yeah. as they're leaving the sport. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! We said do you think they'll still year, leave? Do you, think, do you think they'll still leave if they win? Like, mm, actually, no. I, I, well, I they think... have to. They have to now because it's all yeah. Wheels are in motion. Like they, they made their choice. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, at least if nothing else, we won't have to constantly hear that stat anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the one the one that we kind of worked out between us, Chris, was a, like a, an interesting one for the podium where it's the third youngest podium behind, what was it? It was behind Monza and... Monza, Monza was the youngest. in Brazil the year before, yeah. I believe. But the key protagonist on all those three podiums is Carlos Sainz. He's yeah. been on all three of the three youngest podiums. And I think the reason this one was the is. youngest is because it was Sainz is still there and obviously he gets yeah. older every year. And Max has been on two of them and who was the other one that had been on two of them? I can't remember. I didn't uh, spot Gasly. Gasly was on two of yeah. them, yeah. So mm. Top podium as well. Very, very good. It very, is a good very, podium. Uh, yeah. What was the word? Popular podium, a very popular yeah. podium. Yeah, it really was. I think I think it's like it's nice on a lot of levels. Like it's the it's the younger generation, if you want to call them that, of the drivers coming through. It's it's the teams that like you kind of want and expect to see up there in Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren. And it's just it's got that like nice nostalgia other than the Red Bull maybe because they're not they're not quite nostalgic yet but like to see F- Ferrari and McLaren on a on a Monaco podium together is always nice like do you know what I mean it's it's it feels like yeah. it's happened so many times throughout the decades that we've been there that it just sometimes it feels wrong when they're not there because of the prestige of the race and the prestige of the teams it felt like a podium from 2013 that's what it is that like. i mean there was it was either 2013 or 2014 that you had vettel for red bull alonso for um ferrari, ferrari and jensen button for mclaren yeah it was like the spaniel <laughs> the ferrari the um, yeah. the young favorite driver at red bull and the much loved brit at mclaren <laughs> yeah same podium <laughs> love it um it was obviously all the better for red bull given that Mercedes had a disaster, basically. Yeah. Um, I guess we would deal with Hamilton first. He was just off the pace all weekend, um, seemed to have really struggle. I mean, the team as a whole seemed to struggle with tyre performance. He was suffering it even more than Bottas. Um, he ended up finishing seventh from seventh on the grid, despite the two retirements ahead of him. Um, Vettel and Perez both overcut him, basically because he, Hamilton's laps out of the pits for his second stint were atrocious. <laughs> like I saw some, I, can't, I haven't got the exact numbers to hand, but I saw a comparison of his in and out laps versus uh, Vettel and um, Perez's, and they just destroyed him. He he had absolutely mm. nothing on cold tires. Wow. Um, yeah. He basically spent most of the race just looking at Gasly's rear wing and just never even came close to attempting an overtake, did he? No. Nope. I guess, you know, that car is probably a car much more designed to lead from the front than it is to be stuck in turbulent air behind other cars. So there's probably an element of that. Um, there's the fact that, you know, everyone's sort of been saying, oh, maybe that maybe they got on top of their testing issues, this, that, and the other. I wonder if there's there are still some flaws in that car that, they haven't had a chance to iron out yet because they haven't presented mm. themselves because the kind of circuits that we've been at haven't been these sort of tight twisties like you get at Monaco. It's been quite, really, when you think about it, you know, we've had Barcelona before that, then it was Imola, which is, again, there's, it's not particularly tight, twisty. Um, Bahrain and opening race of the season, what was it? Bahrain. 
Bahrain. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we had, we had, and there was another one that wasn't very tight twisty, but my brain can't think of. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't paying close enough attention to the one you mentioned to know which one you missed. I just noticed eventually that you were going backwards yeah. through. Them. Well, like the, the point the point here is that there's you know none of the this is the tightest twistiest sort of low speed high downforce track that we've been to, and the Mercedes was rubbish at it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think we'll see a bit more of a return to form a, a street circuit that's basically the opposite come back who. Well, I believe after the race, Hamilton described it as like trying to drive a bus around Monaco, but he said in a way that gives him confidence for the rest of the season because the characteristics of the car that made it bad at Monaco should make it good everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. Portugal was the one I missed. Portugal. There you go. <laughs> Um, a quick live update. Ferrari have confirmed that the left drive shaft hub failure that caused Charles Leclerc not to sell Grand Prix was a consequence of the qualifying crash. Oh, Kels, what Kels, what Kels, yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of other stats for you that I was trying to look up because something you said, Tom, reminded me of it. This is the first time since USA 2012 that it's been Red Bull, Ferrari and McLaren on the podium. Wow. Oh, I was so close. I said 2013. Yeah, that was also the year that they um, gave them cowboy hats instead of uh, caps on the podium. That was wow, so, so that, I enjoyed that podium. That podium I'm thinking of must be even older. Yeah. Then. Probably 2012. It must be that like that season or the season before or something. Yeah, I think it was. 2011, also, this was the first time since 2009 there's not been a safety car at Monaco. Yeah. Which is wow. insane that there wasn't a safety car. It, it was interesting as well, like, when you think about, obviously, the, the two non-finishes that we had, one never even started the race, and the other one was, uh, like, the pit stop issue. Yeah, it wasn't like, even... It wasn't... Not, nothing was accident damage, whether, you know, self-inflicted or, like, car-to-car collision damage. Mm. Like, yeah. it's the first time I remember that being a scenario at it's Monaco weird, in... Pff, ever, like... I just genuinely too easy. can't Everyone's think. too easy these days. Yeah. It's too, too easy. easy yeah. too if, easy, if, yeah. if someone like Nikita Mazepin can get easy around uh, Monaco <laughs> without crashing, it must be too I mean, easy, eh? To be fair, all the rookies made it to the checkered flag, which is yeah. an achievement in itself. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, we'll talk about Bottas, won't we? <laughs> we can talk about Bottas now with that second retirement. Um, I mean, he was actually looking pretty good. He was a solid second and he was... Uh, he, he dropped a bit behind Verstappen early on, but he was kind of holding station. But... Yeah, one of the more bizarre retirements I've ever seen from an F1 race. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of what was left of the wheel nut after yeah. the yeah. the wheel would just like machined it smooth. Yeah. Um, in fact, the team have said that the wheel is still stuck on the car and they're not going to be able to take it off until they get it back to the factory. That's mad. What? So I so saw some yeah. people say, like, technically he didn't retire. He's just still having the longest pit stop in F1 history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was good. That's funny. Um, I'm I mean, surprised they don't have, like... Well, I guess if it's still on there, there's obviously... It's, it's either welded itself on. Yeah, or I think it's... basically it has. Because I wow. saw someone say that... It might have been Ted that said it. A lot of other teams have a wheel nut design that basically... It's designed so if you just hit it hard enough with a big hammer, it's designed that it will split in two and fall off. And Mercedes are one of the teams that went away from that design because that it does sound like a very archaic thing to design into a component for a Formula One car <laughs> in 2021. But yeah, but just... also it's kind of crazy that you know I said this at the time to someone: the money that goes into developing these cars, yeah, yeah. and the 
you know, the cost of all the components and stuff. I mean, the wheel nuts alone are worth probably about 10 grand a pop. Yeah. And yeah, like mm. a, a simple failure like that can can derail a multi-million pound yeah. Formula One car. Another interesting thing I saw ridiculous. after that, you, you might have noticed during the pit stop that the, the guy with the wheel gun kept like hitting the wheel gun really hard with the Yeah, I did notice hand. that. So the reason for that is the wheel guns are designed so that once they've... Um, once the wheel gun sense they've done enough effort to do either the taking under off or putting the nut one on, they automatically change to the other direction. So they don't have ah. to push one switch direction. There is a there is a thing on the wheel gun to manually change it back to the other direction, but it's deliberately hard to press so they don't accidentally do it. So when he was smashing it with the palm of his hand, that was him hitting the changing the intentionally gear. difficult yeah. to press button to because the wheel, every time he tried to do it, the wheel gun went, oh, I've done that job, and it turned into tightening mode. So he was hitting the big switch to turn it back to loosen mode before he had another go at it. <laughs> That's quite an interesting detail. fun fact. I yeah, love that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. that. It's little facts like that about Formula 1 that I love. Yeah, like Because the, the, that that's a properly... It shows you the design that goes into every component, even on and off the car. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the process involved in that they thought no oh, we don't unturned. want yeah we don't want this to be easy to mistake so we're going to make it very difficult to press mm-hmm. but it's going to be big enough that you can whack it with the yeah. palm of your hand really yeah. hard so clever i mean e- so even clever. even the first bit of it though where like instead of being off on for like well like clockwise anti-clockwise like it's the gun is programmed in such a way that yeah. it just does it on it just does it on its own. Like that's how you get to these two second pit stops is that you pull the trigger and it does so many turns in one direction and then you pull it again and it's yeah. automatically yeah. doing so many turns in the other direction. It's a set amount of Very force cool. and everything. It's that's amazing. It's insane. I you know yeah. what? I'd actually I'd always in the back of my mind, in the past I've wondered how they do the gun on and then same wheel gun does the yeah. same thing and thing. I always wondered if it was like some sort of weird thread system they had on the on the yeah. nuts or something like that but actually it's just the, the guns are really actually yeah. intelligent yeah <laughs> intelligent gun design is what it is yeah that's not amazing in, that's not intelligent absolute... enough to stop machining that wheel not that. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the other point uh, the other thing i was going to make before you sort of said the wheel was still on it was they mu- I, i'm surprised they don't have some sort of like big massive wrench to to get it off manually if you needed to do it that way. Mm. They must have a big old torque wrench to, You'd have to thought pull it off. So. Oh my torque wrench you tighten with, you don't really loosen with a torque wrench. So Yeah. I mean I was gonna but say I mean, like <laughs> a manual system in case the wheel guns fail, but then I think they have a second set of guns like attached to a, a completely separate air system. So even yeah. if the wheel guns fail, they've got a backup set ready. So I guess it's like that's an additional level of redundance I probably don't think is necessary, but yeah, yeah, interesting all the same, and a gutting way to oh, go yeah. out of a race. Just, just awful. I was thinking what? actually. So I was thinking after this, it it felt like watching that. Like every time Hamilton has a problem, Bottas never seems to be able to like capitalize on it. Um, yeah. So I went back and had a look. Like Hamilton's worst results over the last few seasons. So obviously we know this one. Hamilton seventh, Bottas retired. Italy last year, Hamilton was seventh again after he got a penalty. Bottas only managed to come fifth because that was the podium where it was when, when Gasly won. Yeah, yeah. Brazil 2019, Hamilton seventh again after a penalty. Bottas retired with an oil pressure issue. Germany 2019, Hamilton ninth. Bottas stuck it in the wall when he was running fourth. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Austria 2019, Hamilton fifth after a penalty. Bottas only came third. Like, I know third's still decent, but if you're supposed to be fighting the championship when your main rival goes out, you want to be winning that race. Yeah. Um, Austria 2018, which was Hamilton's last retirement. Bottas also retired with an engine issue. So, like, <laughs> whether it's his fault or look, every time Hamilton has a problem, Bottas is never able to capitalize. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's when it rains, it pours for Mercedes, isn't it? That's the that's the analogy there. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Wesley just said he's Bottas finished for bad luck. <laughs> it feels like it, doesn't it? Um, I'm going to quickly dip into inbox again while we're here just because it feels fitting. But uh, Russ Williams sent us a message saying, how did Mercedes have such a bad day at the office? James Voles normally gets those calls so right. What do you think went wrong in their thinking this time out? I think they got distracted by Gasly. I mean, that's what happened. They were trying to get around Gasly. They were trying so hard to get around Gasly yeah. that they weren't concentrating on what the tyres were doing for the other cars that had already pitted. Yeah, yeah, maybe concentrating just too hard on their own thing. I know, I know. We sometimes say you shouldn't always be looking over your shoulder at what other people are doing and making your decisions based on them, but you should at least know what they're doing. I think, mm, and yeah. maybe this time they were a little bit tunnel vision, like you say. On we need to get past this one car in front of us. Let's try and undercut and not, like you say, looking at how certain tires were performing for certain other cars. But, but also, as Chris said earlier, tire warm up. They couldn't get the tires going. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hamilton was pretty livid the entire race. Um, I mean, all weekend, more yeah, or less, wasn't he? Like, like it wasn't just the, the race. It definitely seemed like he felt like the team were doing something wrong, be it on setup, be it on procedure that was like hindering him. Um, I mean, as is often the case, once he was out of the car, he wasn't quite so intense about it. Um, I mean,. <sighs> It does get a bit much hearing Hamilton moaning on the radio all the time. Um, and I can see why that annoys people about him. But at the same time, you have to remember that every other driver on the grid could have been moaning just as much. We only hear what they choose to yeah. play out to us. And, you know, it, it kind Absolutely. of fits a narrative. It's like I made the point in the Discord over the weekend. As soon as... Um, it started being a thing that like Dan, Tip- Dan Tixum complained all the time. <laughs> every race after that, we just had his team radio like multiple yeah. times every race just because it kind of, it fits the narrative. So it's I a self-fulfilling prophecy. Prop- that's exactly obviously. what it yeah. is, yeah. So that's yeah. definitely an element to it. But at the same time, you kind of just felt like he just needed to like take it on the chin like this ain't your weekend, get on with it. Yeah. I mean, is is that a driver that's pretty worried about the fact that his main rival is winning that race? And yeah, of course it is. I mean, you, anyone would be, wouldn't they? Like in in his defense, not to defend him too strongly, because I'm not I'm not a big fan of the whinging. Like I don't I don't like to hear any driver sort of going on. But if you want to talk about whinging, did you? And and I know we don't normally like to talk about Mazapan, but um, there was one where Mazapan they were trying to get him to like push some switches on his steering wheel <laughs> and he basically held his, held his hands up and just said, I, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm concentrating too hard on actually driving the car. Yeah. I can't do all the he other was like, it's Monica, bits that Formula 1 drivers it. do. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, it's Monaco, but everyone's got a steering wheel that's got loads and loads of con- controls on it. Your job as a Formula 1 driver is to use the controls 
in that car to make that car perform at its absolute peak. And if you're mm-hmm. incapable of doing that, even at Monaco, then what what are you doing in a Formula One car? And let's face yeah. it, even if you like slow down a bit to give him a chance to do it, it wasn't really going to harm their race all that much, was it? No, yeah. But anyway, but back to Hamilton, yeah. Like the 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 the, the whinging, shouting. I think he was well within his rights to be having a go at them because the team absolutely balls it up for him this weekend, and it, and they did the same for Bottas. The the team were not good enough all weekend. Yeah, I mean. Uh, it sounds a weird thing to say about someone that's won that race three times, but I genuinely just think that it's like one of the tracks that whether it doesn't suit him or something, I don't know whether it, whether he puts too much pressure on himself mentally because obviously we all know he idolised Senna and some of his favourite racers are watching Senna drive around the streets of Monaco. Like I don't know if there's something there, but... And it does feel weird to say it about like a three-time winner, but we've got to remember that the times that he's won it, he's like kind of walked it in this far superior Mercedes. On other occasions, even when he's been in this far superior Mercedes, he's finishing like seventh, sixth, fifth. Even in, in, in and even when he was at McLaren, like he was finishing fifth and sixth, and Jensen was getting on the podium like a few places ahead of him. And I don't know, I don't know if it is right to say it's just not a circuit for him or not, but. When you actually sort of, I guess, factor in like the context of his results, saying he's a three-time winner, yeah, looks impressive. But when you sort of see, when you think what he should be doing in that car there, considering that like there were times when Rosberg was in the race and he wasn't even coming second behind Rosberg. Like it's, I don't know. I I don't know if that's just a, a weird observation or... When you look at his record at other tracks, given how many races he's won, I guess it'd like say, although he's won it three times... It is maybe one mm. of his weaker circuits. Um, I, yeah, I think it is one of his weaker circuits. I mean, to be fair, it's also not really a circuit that suits Mercedes' design philosophy. Um, no, long wheelbase. They've yeah. still won it a bunch of times just because the car has still been that good. But mm. Mm. You'd, you'd have thought he would run it a few more times. But I guess like yeah. that's, that's it, it says a lot about the track. It shows you what a leveler the track is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of his wins, for example, is in a McLaren. Yeah, one of those three wins is like yeah, over ten years ago in a McLaren. Oh, that was the one where he um, he hit the wall, didn't he? Yeah, it was his championship year. Yeah, he he actually hit the wall, ended up having to come in way earlier than he wanted to. Um, yeah, for a pit stop, but then there was a safety car that landed perfectly for him, and he still won yeah. despite hitting the wall. Yeah, a bit lucky, but looks all top of the game. Lewis Hamilton's career is safety cars landing perfectly for him. Yeah. Isn't it? it happens <laughs> quite a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the rest of the podium Sainz and Norris uh, yeah really good drives from both of them um, yeah Sainz looked just great in that car looked really comfortable really quick um, like I say there was that one point where I was like oh is he going to start to catch Verstappen and then Verstappen just said no yeah. but um, <laughs> like swatting a fly yeah <laughs> just like yeah. no uh, Norris had to keep Perez at bay for the sort of last third of the race it, Norris was like having a crisis of confidence for that last that stint. He was, was really intense. unhappy on those hard tyres. I was on the edge of my seat for that. We didn't see enough of that, actually. I would have liked to have... I could have happily watched the last 10 laps of just... Well, last 12, 13, 14, 15 laps of just Norris and Perez. Okay. Just show us Perez's on board and leave it on that camera for the rest yeah, of the race. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like, it would have been, that would have been better than the attempts that were made at coverage for this race weekend. But <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, like just awesome drives from both of them. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, like, even without Bottas's issues, I think Signs might even have nicked second. Like, he looked like he'd kind of... He seemed to be holding station behind Bottas, I think, to come was the pit stops. Like, he might have been in with a shout. Uh, yeah, yeah, really impressive. Uh, we already mentioned Perez. Um, who else is worth mentioning? Uh, Vettel. He managed That's to... A solid result for Vettel. Amazing fit. result for Vettel. He managed to overcut Hamilton and Gasly um, in, the, just, in the pit phase. Just. just. But not, not that we saw it. <laughs> not that we saw it. We did eventually. It took about four attempts, but we finally saw that. Um, yeah, just brilliant. Like that. That was. That's the best I've seen Vettel in a very long time. Just across the whole weekend, he was so on top of it. Really, really mm. good performance from him. I think he's, he's probably finding his feet by now in that team. Five races in. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's definitely sort of looking. He looked very comfortable. He looked very relaxed all weekend. I think yeah. it's the first time in a while that I've seen him look as chill and just like he was enjoying yeah. himself. For, for a long time. Of course, like you come fifth at Monaco in a car that's maybe not the class of the field. You're probably going to be, you know, bounding around quite happy. But... Yeah, he even did his um his old crazy frog over the radio that he yes. used to use <laughs> Red Bull days. That's how happy he yes. was. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, you would be. Yeah. Um, yeah, great He's guy. good. Really pleased. Great car. Really pleased for him. Great drive. Um, Yeah, Gasly as well, as I've mentioned, um, held off Hamilton for basically the entire race to come see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stroll uh, managed to hold on for a couple of points in eighth, despite uh, clipping the wall, as we saw. As we definitely <laughs> saw that bit. We definitely saw that bit. Um, Ocon, not bad drive from him for ninth. Um, he only was ninth as a result of the two retirements, but still, like considering yeah. Alonso had a pretty awful weekend all around, it was another yes, another weekend where Ocon was pretty solidly beating Alonso, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. If rumour be believed, uh, Alpine are already lining up a new contract for Ocon to keep him around there for another year or two as a result of his performances at the start of the season. And he's been good. Like, he's... I would put Ocon as, like, one of the candidates for, like, driver of the season so far. I think he's been doing a really, really... Quietly doing a very good job in that car. Yeah, I could go for that so far. I mean, I, I said... That I was expecting the opposite, and I'm on record here saying, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. he, he's going to get absolutely ripped to shreds by Alonso, and and the opposite's been true actually. Yeah, he's, I, he's, I, he's annihilated Alonso this season. So far. I was genuinely thinking like a, another year like the same from Gasly, yeah. combined with Alonso outperforming Ocon would seal Ocon's fate. I thought coming into the season, but. Yeah. He's used his establishment in the team already to his best advantage, I think, yeah. and he's making the best of it. So take, taking Alonso to janitor school, just mopping, <laughs> mopping yeah. up. Although, I mean, I'm disappointed that you said driver of the driver of the season so far when we've got Lando Norris. I in did the say candidates. Okay, that's all right then. Caveat, caveat. But I can see Chris okay. backpedaling. I, I could. Do you know what? I could also see how the, the live chat Discord erupted the second you said that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you had to backpedal there as well. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Um, Alpha, we sort of already mentioned, had a pretty decent weekend as well. Uh, 10th and 11th, Giovinazzi gained his first point of the season. <laughs> he said after the race he was mentally exhausted. <laughs> he was, yeah. um, I think he had a pretty tough time keeping it together for that point, but point he did indeed get. 
Yeah. Uh, who else you mention? How about Ricardo? He had a really, Ooh. really tough weekend. Yeah. Um, Especially where with where the other car was all weekend with Norris. Yeah, it was like it was like almost a second slower for the most part. Yeah, like we, mm. us and other people coming into this race sort of talked him up as like he's a bit of a Monaco specialist. He's always gone well here, expecting big things from him, and just didn't I, happen. I'm wondering if it's car. I, I Daniel Ricciardo is not a second slower than Lando Norris. Or he's is it? No, he's not. Or is it though? Cata- he's not. No, Tom. No. I mean, he is though. <laughs> Fact. He is. Well, on pay, on on yeah, from from on results, from, day, on he results. Is. Yeah, he is. But he isn't, is he? But the, I, I, I mean, I don't think the. I, I, I th- there's got to be I something it's up difficult, with the car. I think it's difficult to say because this is the first time they're in similar machinery, isn't it? Like it's all it's all well and good as saying Danny Rick was amazing in at, at Red Bull, but. I mean, it took him a long time to find form at Renault, and he did is he, being handily he... beaten. Well, I mean, he got a couple of podiums, didn't he? The car yeah. improved, so and he made the best out of it. But like, he's still struggling at the minute. And I'm not saying like every single weekend Norris is going to hand it to him, like what it feels like he could do at the minute. But I do think that by sort of playing it down as more Ricardo's struggling, it does Norris a bit of a discredit for the performance that he is actually getting out of the car, if you see what I mean. Mm. But, I mean, I don't know if either of you saw the interview that Ricardo did on, you know, the rest day with him having the Friday rest day. Yeah, like, I was going to mention To keep this. tradition. It, he said himself, like, it's the car's got some interesting characteristics that make it pretty unique, and I've got to get on top of them. But... I don't lack confidence in the car or anything like that. Like I felt with other stuff in the past. Like it's not a confidence problem. It's just I need to get on top of these characteristics. And he he was basically openly saying that he just needs to get used to how to drive that car. Because mm, he said not, it- not necessarily that there was anything wrong with it or that he wasn't confident in it. Because he did, if I remember, openly say that he he, he struggled to be confident with the Renault to begin with mm-hmm. after coming to it from the Red Bull. Because that came from, he said, like, where one of the first times he bumped into Signs after, like, testing or early in the season, Signs said yeah. something, something like, interesting, isn't it, to him? And he like, sort of said that was alluding to the McLaren having a, a, a window where it's a very good car, but that window is quite small and really easy to fall out mm. of, and that's what he's struggling with currently. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I think I still think, though, if I'm Andreas Seidel and the gap is that big, you've got to sort of at least kind of have a look at, you know, at, at the car, you know, is there something they can do just to have a proper inspection of the car to make sure, make doubly sure that it isn't the car because it's quite unusual for, for a gap to be that big between mm-hmm. two drivers. Yeah. I think unless you're um, Haas, <laughs> but that's <different. laughs> if it, I think if the gap's still that big second half of the season, then I'd be a bit more worried. Um, but yeah. I think, he's just gonna, I think he just needs a bit of time and he's, he's just not figured it out yet. Um, it's not an easy circuit to be still figuring things out. Well, yeah, I mean, I think definitely, yeah, you're right there. Definitely, if, if, he's, if he's not quite 100% on top, of, um, on top of that car, then of course, that this, this is a circuit that's going to, it's really, really going to show much more than it would at most mm, of us. Yeah. 
And I think so as soon as you start getting as soon as you start getting lapped at Monaco as well, like it makes the gaps look that much bigger because oh, yeah. you get lapped once and suddenly the next car and the next car and you're just spending most of your time trying to find somewhere to get out of the way. And I think being the, the act of being lapped definitely harms your time at Monaco more than anywhere else. Hundred percent. Sure track tracking yeah. the calendar as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else anyone else on the race you want to touch on before we do some awards I can't think of anything that we might that we weren't already covering the the next sections did anyone see what happened to Schumacher Schumacher overtook his teammate and then he had a I believe I said it was a fuel flow issue Um, so he was yeah had to like slow it right down for a few laps yeah, and then never quite fully recovered from it. He got back up towards the back of Mazepin t- uh, yeah. at one point, but they actually then told sort of them fell to, back. They actually told mm-hmm. him to hold position as well when he caught him up. Yeah. So and he did as he was told. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> I think I think we're ready to. Can, sh- shall we have some awards? Have some awards. Yeah. I mean, the first the first one that we always do is driver of the day, and I mean Sebastian Vettel won the official yeah. one yeah he did and i think probably rightly so like i i was struggling to decide who to vote for and i felt like he was a very solid performance and i think if i had to throw my hat into the ring for someone it would probably be either him or perez because perez yeah. was at times the fastest guy out on that circuit um and there were times where he was intentionally like dropping back to almost show the pace that he had mm-hmm. um in clean air and it it played out well for him obviously because it led to him being able to make the moves in the pit stops because when he got dropped in that clean air he could just pound those times out and create the gaps that he needed for the pit pit strategy to work so i think it's probably between the two of them for me I think if Perez had managed to overtake Norris, then absolutely he would oh, be yeah. a candidate for me. But he he didn't quite get to that. I think Norris for for holding off Perez yeah. is a shout. Um, Vettel definitely definitely an amazing another really really good performance. I think probably for the first time in a long time, the the actual audience have voted for the right person. Yeah, I'm I'm really torn between Vettel and Perez. So if you guys are leaning towards Vettel, I'm more than happy to go with I'll, that. I'd be interested to know how much of the Vettel vote was because his move got cut off on TV. Like, <laughs> how many people have thought, do you know what? That was a good move. I wanted to see it. I'm just going to vote for him for Driver of the Day. If for we that give him Driver of the Day, they might show us the move. They might, yeah, you might see <laughs> yeah. it. Mm. Um, yeah. Speaking of move of the day. Yeah, um, I mean... The one that got my attention immediately was Schumacher on the inside of his teammate around the um, around the hairpin, known as the the tightest corner in Formula One. Yeah, um, most lock on the first lap, wasn't it? That yeah, yes, it was, on the opening yeah. lap. There was also on the first lap, which I don't think got shown on TV. Uh, Giovinazzi got around the outside of Ocon at the corner. I can't it's called the corner before the hairpin. Um, oh, coming down the hill. Yeah. It is uh, the Mirabeau. Mirabeau. Mirabeau, yeah. Mirabeau, yeah. Yes, the German actually got around the outside of Ocon there, which actually, like, that was a pretty vital move for him getting a point in hindsight. Um, Yeah, it was a good one. And I mean, obviously, the other one is Vettel and Gasly going side by side up the hill. Um, And I think it has to be that one just because 
Yeah. It ain't very often you see cars side by, and he was all the way up the hill as well. Hold on a minute. You say it ain't very often you see cars <laughs> yeah. going side by side up the hill. In Formula um, <laughs> About a week ago, was it? We saw. <laughs> yeah. Three wide it at was, one point. Do you know what? It yeah. was a very similar. Um, it was a very similar move to the one that we liked on the Formula E. It was actually. Yeah. I like because Chris didn't see anything at all because of it being cut off when they eventually re-showed it. I think you missed the first re-showing of it, didn't you? And yeah, you asked, I did. I remember you asking me like how what did it look like and i was just like just imagine what happened in the formula e a couple of weeks ago but with vettel yeah i liked after the race gasly said um if you need to leave two meters width for an f1 car vettel left me two meters and two centimeters yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. vettel said he didn't really know where gasly was either he was like couldn't really see him i assumed he was still there so i stayed off to one side just to get <laughs> oh my god that's like he must have bitten a chunk out of his seat when oh he did yeah that move uh, yeah, um, it's that one for me. Yeah, I think this this that's the one for me as well. From the onboard, it looks amazing. Yeah, it's Chris awesome. is, uh, Tom's just having some cat issues. I'm fighting like... a cat <laughs> who wants to be part of the podcast. Uh, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> last award then. Uh, yeah, last one for this week. Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? It's probably I mean, related to the move we were just talking mm, about. Is it? <laughs> There's quite a few. I mean. I mean, Leclerc not starting the race at all has got to be at least like mentioned in this section because Ferrari themselves said we will not take any risk that means that we we don't secure some points, and ultimately they did exactly that. Like they either didn't fully inspect the car properly or do any do something to the best of their ability to make sure that car started the race. In my opinion. Yeah, that's that's the WF for me is like not noticing that something's still broke on your car. Well, well, well to be fair to Ferrari, they can't mm-hmm. run the car under load. No, no, in true. between then and going round to the thing. And if a drive shaft goes, that's all your you know your rear suspension's coming to bits. They can can um, this is probably need some clarity, but can they run the engine at all in park Fermi? Until it's race day, when they question, when they're actually. starting it for the race, because that no, that may be part and parcel of the issue, I guess. Yeah, I don't think they can. But even if they had run the engine, that still wouldn't you wouldn't be putting it under load. You, you could spin no. the wheels. Yeah, that's true. And it might not be that, It's just you know until you put put actual weight onto the onto the component that's mm. or pressure onto the component that's going to fail then it's not going to fail, is it? Yeah. So I, I, I think it comes more to... It's understandable that the thing was missed, but if they'd have just, I guess, not taken the risk and done the sensible thing, they'd have been scoring valuable points. Yeah. It should have been I a think. whole... I mean, they should have just taken... They, they literally should have yeah. been new gearbox, new yeah. whole reassembly. I meant to ask yeah. you guys this earlier, actually. Um, obviously, like we we have the hindsight of knowing what happened, but like putting that to one side, if you were at Ferrari, you looked at the car after that crash and it looked all right, would you have risked it or would you have played it safe and changed the parts anyway? I think I mean, I'd I- seen the accident and seen the state of the car after it, I'd yeah. have probably pl- played it safe. I'd have changed everything, given that they're in such a tight fight with McLaren and they're not. Mm. You know, the race win isn't. Doesn't it's really nice, matter. I mean, I, I guess a race win around Monaco would be nice. I think what's happened is being at Monaco has probably tipped them mm. towards taking oh, yeah. that risk more than it should have. Yeah. 
definitely I wouldn't have done that at any other circuit. Yeah, if we'd been at Bahrain, Actually, Silverstone, Canada, I could think of one Turkey. circuit they would have taken the risk at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, uh, <laughs> not in Mon- <laughs> Monza. Yeah, yeah, Monza. They and you could understand that. I think. Yeah, I think that that's kind of like I think Monaco less so because despite all the prestige around uh, Monaco, it's still really for Ferrari season it's just another race that yeah if they get a win great I, there's an argument to say that if they can start at the front then they will guarantee themselves a win so is it exactly, worth yeah. the risk in that regard there's a very it's a fine balance I think but I I do think they've cost themselves some points I, do, I think Leclerc had a really really good chance of finishing the points even if he'd started at the back they oh, would yeah, have been well, probably relying on like a safety car but they could have gone really long on the strategy well I thought I think I might be wrong, but I think in that situation, like if they replace the gearbox, instant five place penalty, that's really into the rules. I yep. think for the parts that they are not technically allowed to change into Park Ferme, I think they can go to Michael Massey and say, We want to change this on safety grounds. Can you give yep. us permission to do it? So yeah. they probably could have got away with anything more than a five place penalty. In which case, yeah, there's a solid chance you probably have finished, what, fourth given? No. Uh, well, no, it would inherit, it inherited Bottas, one yeah. position from Bottas. So a good a, a good chance of probably fifth or sixth in the race, which is yeah. still big points for them. Mm. Yeah. Especially with both cars being up there. Yeah. With science. Um, so. I think we're yeah, kind yeah. of dancing ha- around. Um, Roxy in the Discord as well says maybe it's also because it's his home race. And I think yeah, that's definitely, yeah. definitely a part of it. Yeah. He 100%. would definitely have. I think if it were up to him, he'd probably have wanted to take the risk as well. Yeah, they probably yeah. asked him. They were probably they were probably like, mm. right. What do you think? You know, you're on pole. Yeah. You've earned this. It's your home race. What do, What do you want to do? Yeah. Here's and Here's it, the situation. And if yeah. I'm Charles Leclerc, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm <laughs> taking the risk. I want to win at Monaco. Yeah. And I did think it was quite a nice, like, well, two things actually to see like other drivers kind of really genuinely like going and consoling him after it became apparent, kind of thing, and also the fact that he's still like went up for the the anthems and stuff and like you know did all these bit like you wouldn't have blamed him for just disappearing at that point but like he still kind of put a brave face on and went through the process and stuff which was you know yeah fair mm. play to the guy yeah yeah we are dancing around the real wtf though which is oh yeah. <laughs> the... oh, we're still on wtf <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we, yeah, we it's, should... dire- it's gotta be the direction hasn't it yeah we should say like for clarity like it's not the same people that do Monaco as every other race on the calendar. Like Monaco is its own weird beast with its own various weird things in the contract. And one of them is the, what is it? The racing club de Monaco or whatever it is. It's something yeah. like that. Yeah. The, the people who, who, so there's like a, obviously the automobile club de Monaco. That's the called. One. Yeah, that's it. They, um, they run the race and they own all the media yeah. rights to it. And they, um, have they they basically make their own production for the um, yeah yep. for the race itself every year, so which FOM includes don't, the TV direction. Yeah, FOM don't have anyone um, any real sort of control over it. They just, just yeah. they, they buy the they they buy the feed in the same way that Sky buy the feed from FOM. Yeah, but I yeah. think FOM buy the feed and then weirdly Sky buy the feed then back off of FOM. I don't I don't know the ins and outs of the deal. Yeah, but um. Yeah, suffice to say that the uh, the direction isn't quite up to the same standards as what Farmer Not do. quite. 
There, there, there are a few mm. subtle changes you might have noticed. Yeah. I mean, and <laughs> also, like, it's not that hard to be... It's quite difficult to actually to be worse on occasion than form. There's definitely been loads <laughs> yeah. of occasions, they're, they're especially not the last exactly couple of years. Pros. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> well, they're pros. They no, no, that's not well, fair, Chris. They're pros. They're but, pros, but they're not exactly the best in the world. That's the job on some occasions. But at the same time, it is a, it, in, the, in both sort of parties' defence, it can be a very, very difficult it is. sport to I show think, the right thing at the right time. But like you, even... I think the worst thing is, though, is it can be very difficult to show the right thing at the right time, but to have the right thing on screen yeah. and then go, nah, let's move away from <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Like, that's the that's the killing blow. It was, I mean, this was a, it was an absolute <laughs> it's battle, wasn't it's it? Like, it was so it's obvious. It's to actively cut away from it. Literally, yeah, yeah. It's like they... No, it's like they had contempt for the audience. They're like, no, 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 you're not yeah. going to see that. Yeah, but I mean, all I weekend have... they were consistently just showing like the wrong things. I have another like honorary mention for WTF, and that's asking Serena Williams what F1 drivers <laughs> need to do to improve their their God, lap times around Monaco because that was just ridiculous. I, did, I don't think I saw that. What, what happened uh, there? after so... David Coulthard had finished interviewing the top three? He yeah. decided he was going to interview Serena Williams as well, and it was oh, every bit so. as awkward as that I, I, sounds like it would be. In David Coulthard's defence, I would probably say he, was probably he didn't decide to. He would. He was told, told to, to <laughs> just to defend DC. <laughs> but yeah, it was a it was a very awkward interview. Mm. Um, well, I'd like to and... know who's telling DC what to do when he owns the production company that make the uh, <laughs> yeah. Make the show, yeah. But... <laughs> But then, speaking of Serena Williams as well, like you, she literally like waves a thing around with her arm for a living. Yet they put a flag. <laughs> and, and, like it was like she'd never held an object before in her life. She's like, what do I do with this? Just pretend you're playing tennis. Just, I thought we. Learned, this isn't a racket. This is a flag. I thought we learned the lesson years ago of don't give guests flags yeah. to wave. It never goes well. Well, I mean, you know, no, no, no calamity came of it, did it? it no, it's true. On this occasion, at least. It's like, yeah, um, I, I don't hate it, but I don't really care about it. No, <laughs> that's, that's my side. Like, I'm just not interested in seeing celebrities oh. wave checkered flags. It's not that yeah. interesting. Another minor WTF was the like special fancy box they had for the trophy that then had yeah. like the two Ooh. women. Oh, it was like I think it was like Louis Vuitton or something that like designed a special case for the trophy. It was, like, it was yeah. just like come out of a Fabergé egg, basically. Yeah, <laughs> like. But then the best part was they like made this big deal of it being at the back of the podium, and then like these two women opened it up and like they did a big zoom on it, and then Prince Albert like went to do the presentation and just walked straight past it, and they had to like get his attention to come back to get the trophy because <laughs> he was he's obviously yeah. used to just going to the side and someone hands him the trophy to hand out, and he just walked yeah. straight past the fancy box. That's amazing. I love that. And then, and then you had the um, the band playing the anthems instead of the pre-recorded ones, which was like just everything about the Monaco. Yeah, everything about it is just mad in like such an entertaining way. As as I said at the time, it's Monaco, and they do what the <laughs> they want. <laughs> oh wow! Active bleeping everyone. Yeah, yeah. She says yeah, Chris some edit work later. <laughs> <laughs> The the and of course there's the wheel gun for Mercedes as well. That yes. was hectic. That was massive WTF. That that was just like whoa. What? Well, Mercedes whole weekend. To be fair, they were just completely yeah. like off off color. They were yeah. They were yeah. They were just broken all weekend, weren't they? It seemed like they just never got on top of anything. It's like they never got going. 
Yeah, so, just so uncharacteristic for them. I think the kill. It's obvious though what the winner is, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it is. It, yeah, it's, it's always going to be the direction. Always. Yeah. The, just the general. But are we going for the general direction, or are we going for a specific? I mean, we've got to specifically say cutting to stroll just for like for nothing yeah. else for the amount of like memes that have come out afterwards about it, which yeah. have just been <laughs> utterly fantastic. Yeah, I think, I think my been... favorite one is still the um, what was it? Uh, Spanish Grand Prix twenty sixteen was it when Hamilton and uh, Rosberg came together? Yes, and just <laughs> yeah, as they come together, one, uh... he cuts to the stroll yeah. replay. Oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> That's that was amazing. good. There was there was a very good one that someone shared in the Discord to do with Chris Kamara, which yeah. will go down well with anyone who is also a football fan as well as a Formula yeah, One fan. Yeah, very niche one, but very good. Cutting cutting to Chris Kamara and him not knowing what's going on because it's just a replay of Stroll in the back. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's very niche, but very good. Um, right, I think that has settled that though. Um, so we'll do predictions. So, not a great week for the three of us in predictions. Just a single point each. I was Kristen, happy. I was happy with just the one point. Yeah, I'll I take mean, I, I was by the end of it after what, everything that went on. Um, but yeah, Chris and I went for the Verstappen win and got a point there. Stu got his point from eighteen finishes. Um, considering the things that went on, I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see two people join first this week you know, with three points. Yeah. yeah. Like three's impressive. Three points is good for this week. I think especially considering what some of the points were. So Jim Bob Blair and James Thompson were the two people who um got the three points. Both had Leclerc as a fastest qualifier. Uh James had Max as a winner. Both had eighteen finishers, and Jim Bob had uh, uh Lando Norris finishing third, which was a, a very good good shout. Yeah. Um, a cup a couple of people also went with Max uh, with uh Valtteri Bottas as first DNF. So they came out of it quite well. Those two people were, let me find them, uh, Tom Hardesty and John Bankston, the only two people to go for a Valtteri Bottas first DNF. Oh, I'm just, I've, I feel very sad to see so many Yuki Tsunodas down the list. Oh, really? I mean, although I guess he's a rookie. I'm, rookie he's a rookie and he's had a tough time recently. Um, I'm not at all surprised to see how many Mazepins there are. Wow. Sorry, that's the first time I've scrolled through that list in alphabetical it, order. It's like of I said, DNF. It's like I said last week, this race in particular, if you don't say Mazepin for first DNF at Monaco and it is him, you're just going to feel stupid. Yeah. Um, we should say as well, just for any, to avoid any confusion, um, Leclerc was a DNS. He didn't actually start yes. the race, so he does not count as first DNF because it's specifically someone who starts the race and doesn't finish it. Yeah, yeah. you can't you can't be a DNF if you do if you're already a DNS. Fact. Yep. Yep. We had oh to my clarify God, that rule. So many months. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we had to clarify that rule a few years ago when we had a similar situation of someone not starting the race, and we're like, right. For clarity, this is the rule. Yep. Anyway, overall standings. Um, it's getting tighter at the top. There's now five people tied at the top, so it's getting narrower and narrower. But they're, they're all they're all on ten points, and they are as follows: the one and only James Hunt is <laughs> wow, he's <laughs> up there. Uh, Charlie Ray, Alex Taskov, uh, Omlakani. I hope I'm saying that right. And Nate Everett are all tied on at ten points. Um, there's a bunch of people behind him on nine. Uh, Stu. You are the closest member to that of the back of the grid team uh, with eight points in 32nd. Hi. <laughs> Chris, you are on six points in 117th and I am on five points on in 168th. So, oh. Oh, so we're, yeah. we're all at least like 
a point per race. <laughs> we can take that at least. Yeah. Because I think most of last yeah. season I was nowhere near a point yeah, per race. Yeah, I think if you can average a point a race, that's actually a decent result for the end of a season. If you can finish, a, you know, if you finish on 20, well, this year it'd be 23 points. I mean, that's a good result. Yeah. That last season would have put you in the 50s. Yeah, in a, that's in a, a very good result. In the high 50s, in I, terms of overall position. Yeah, I, I last year's winner was 32. Season. Last year's winner was 32, so you need to average like a point and a half per race, probably. So actually, our, everyone at the top of it currently is beating that because they're on 10 way points ahead of the curve. five races. Yeah, way ahead of the curve. Impressive. Yeah, um, and if anyone does want to get involved and wondering what we're talking about, you can head to backofthegrid.com where there's the opportunity to register, uh, even though it's an off weekend next weekend. But you can then all be prepared for when we're going to Baku. Um, and it's never it's never too late to join in because if anyone does get a perfect five out of five in predictions, you do win a little prize uh, as well as one for the person leading the standings at the end of the season. So always worth uh, joining in. Takeaways. Okay. Uh, the thing I'm taking away from this one is, I mean, obviously it's a really obvious one, but the the battle is back on, isn't it? The championship battle is right back on. It looked for a little while like Mercedes were going to run away with it, but this this week has proved very much otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, my takeaway is, I think that per, um, that science is going to be a force we reckon with for the season. I think that a finish like that and the pace that he knew he had in qualifying will make him just hungry to to make good of what he he felt like he missed out on. Yeah. And I think he'll make him a force. Like we, we've always said that we thought it would be close between him and Leclerc for the season, but I think that'll put like a new sort of fire in his belly to really go out and do that now. And yeah, I think definitely. for... For the next few races or any opportunity he's got, he will definitely be taken advantage I, of. I still think he had the legs on him in quality. I think he would yeah. have done him. Mm, I think so. 100%. Too. Um to be different then, I will say for my takeaway, Lando Norris continues to be extremely good this season. And I do think third in the drivers' championship is a difficult but realistic target for him this year. He's back into third after this race. It's yeah. It's, It'll be hard. It'll it'll need some a bit of luck and some really good results. But I think it's possible, it's doable. I mean, I mean, he, next he, race is going to a very happy hunting ground for himself, isn't he? At Austria, not next race, race after next. Yes, sorry. and he two, gets two, two races. races there, yeah, so he so. gets two bites of the cherry. So because he got, was it third and fourth, I think, at the two races there last year. So yeah, definitely a third. Yeah, he got yeah. his first podium. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you, you basically said the one that I was trying to avoid sounding like a fanboy by saying, Chris. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't <laughs> I thought I'm going to be like as objective as I can about this. And you were since just like, no, when, Lando, Lando. Since when were we afraid of sounding like bad, uh, fat? I nearly said bad boys. Bad boys. boys. Then, we're, not, we're not bad boys. Since when were we afraid of sounding like fanboys on this podcast? Like, never. Uh, let's do some uh, inbox. Let's do some inbox. Is, uh, keep me saying now. Let's stay, let's stay up. <laughs> Box, box, box. Hey, man. <laughs> Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, Phil's Garage, say with an F, says, um, Ferrari have come back really strong. Is the car that much better, or were they forced to run the engine last year on very low power? <laughs> <sighs> I 
I don't know, but I'm really looking forward to finding out. <laughs> I think mm. is my answer to that. Like, my head kind of says it's just a circumstantial one-off thing because Monaco is weird, mm. but I'd really love to be proven wrong and actually have them like in the mix of the front because it's just good for the show. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. Like I think it's what I was saying before that they this is a circuit where they don't use that that top end of the of the gearbox and the engine, and I think that that's helped keep them more in touch and just prove that it's a good chassis with a bad well not a bad but an average power unit. And I think that sadly. A circuit like Baku. I mean, I'm happy again. I'm happy to be proven wrong. I think a circuit like Baku in a couple of weeks will show exactly that, and you might see them struggling again. But very happy to be proven wrong. Um, just distracted by Chris's activity in the Discord. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, trying to put you off at this point. Yeah, perfect timing. I I think the the, the circuit has flattered the Ferrari big time. That's yeah. my opinion. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'll go next. Project F1 say, how do you think Verstappen will handle the psychological challenge of leading the championship? Because I don't, don't know. He's never done it before, so who knows? <laughs> Did you know that, by the way? He's never done wow, it before. Really? Oh, yeah, really? it's the first time. First time. Crazy. Huh. Crazy wow. stats, man. Um, I'm, I'm a, a stat, stat man. man. <laughs> <laughs> Little inside joke for the Discorders. Yeah, that's lost on everyone. <laughs> everyone else is like, we need to stop talking about the Discord because everyone's just going to hate. No, on because everybody wants to be on it. This is the thing. It's it's, it's, it's a cool club now. Where all the cool people are, and also us. <laughs> uh, I think Verstappen will be fine. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I think he's level-headed enough, isn't he? That like it. He's the sort of guy that will easily turn around and say, it doesn't really matter where I am right now in the championship. What matters is where I am in, what, 15, 16, 17 races time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's when it really matters. So. 100%. Another, another stat I saw, actually, because, again, this same stat's been bandied around. And there's all these actually more interesting stats hidden beneath it. Another one is that this is not only the first time he's led the Formula One championship, it's the first time he's led any single-seater championship. Wow. Yeah. Because he did, Crofty didn't have that one in his no, he, <laughs> in his I repertoire. I can't where he started, but he went to like Euro F three, and I think he finished yeah. like fourth or something in that season. And Red Bull were like, "Yep, that'll do." F one time, <laughs> yeah, he did get accelerated very quickly, didn't he? <laughs> very much so. <laughs> uh, uh, next, this is a bit of a double up. This one, uh, Chris McNulty said, Vettel's science showed impressive results while Ricardo and Alonso appeared to really struggle. Even Mazepin beat his teammate. Is it fair to judge the drivers and teams after five races? And is it naive to think that Alonso and Ricardo are going to come good? Um, Paul in the Discord said a similar, do you think there's any chance of Danny Rick going back to Red Bull if he doesn't get to grips with the McLaren? But also saying he hopes that doesn't happen. Um... Ricardo, I've still got faith in, as we said earlier, that yeah. he's gonna, he will figure it out. It's gonna, it's taken him a while, but I think he will figure it out eventually. Alonso, I'm not so sure. Um, Alonso really seems to be struggling, and by his own admission, he just hasn't got what it takes to beat Ocon right now, which is a a big mm. admission from a driver of his stature. Yeah, yeah Alonso just wants. 
the Renault that he won the championship in what two thousand and five and six five five and six, and six yeah. yeah just wants I, to just throw it into corners understeer into them and then I do kind of feel like <clears throat> I do kind of feel like the Alonso come back he's maybe just gonna like he's not really gonna do much and it's just gonna like. Like you, harm his reputation a little bit. In the no, you know, every, every time this happens, every time someone does a comeback like this, everyone gets really excited about it. You know, Schumacher coming back. Yeah, um, Button came back for a little for a race. Yeah, um, and and fl- flipped Ericsson up onto Primo stance at Monaco. <laughs> yeah, um, there, yeah, and this like. Grosjean came back. Grosjean was away for a while. Raikkonen has been away for a while. Yeah. Come back and done nothing since really since he's come back. I think he had one race win for Ferrari. Yeah, he had a USA. handful of results for Ferrari. Yeah, he got one win for Lotus, but yeah, but two wins you know, for Lotus. Oh, was it I two? mean, if but he bookended the seasons. Oh, didn't yeah, he? he did. He ended one and then won yeah. one. But I mean, I think I think the significance of Alonso's return could be. Similar to that of Schumacher's at Mercedes, as in there's something in the works there. There's something that he can help build. He just might never profit from it. Like That's Schumacher Schumacher bowed out and Hamilton and Rosberg. Obviously, Rosberg was a huge part of what was going on there as well as Schumacher. But Schumacher kind of bowed out and Hamilton and Rosberg reaped the glory that that brought. Yeah. And I mean, as Alpine... They seem to have a decent young driver in Ocon still. Or he, he seems to be coming good. And the wily sort of expertise of Alonso could potentially put that car in a good position in the new formula. It's just whether or not Alonso is around long enough to reap those benefits or if he just kind of bows out gracefully of, I've not got what I once had and yeah. somebody else takes that opportunity like a, a Gasly or a you know someone like I... that. This this might be very generalizing and controversial, but I kind of feel like Michael Schumacher will have gone away, seen their success, and taken some pride in that. Alonso's career to date kind of makes me feel like once he's left a team, he doesn't really care a jot what happens to them. He only cares <laughs> about what Fernando Alonso is doing next. So yeah, maybe. Fernando, Fernando Alonso care about Fernando I'm Alonso. not sure he's necessarily doing this for the next generation of Alpine drivers, put it that no, way. No, no. I don't care. think I don't think that's his justification behind doing it, but I think that yeah, it's, there's, a, there's maybe a similarity to there that mm-hmm. that that car could start coming good and it's whether or not he's decided to stick around long enough to do it and whether he's been good enough for them to keep him around long enough to take advantage of it as well. Yeah, that's fair. Should it come good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Couple here on the same theme. Um, First one from Ronnie Flatman that says, do you think Liberty Media will keep letting a different group of TV directors be in charge of the coverage for Monaco or do you think they will have the normal TV directors doing it in the future? And uh, Bill Starr also adds... Um, would you agree that the most disappointing performance on of Sunday's race was the TV director? Um, yes, I would agree with Bill yes. on that one. I think the the sort of semi more serious question about Liberty Media and allowing people to different people to be in charge of race direct uh, directing the TV coverage, Liberty Media don't really have a say yeah. in in that for this particular race. Like all the other ones, they've just they've got control of they. 
they can do what they want with it. With Monaco, mm. it's different, and yeah, it's, they, that's just the way it is. They might, when it comes to rewrite or to sign a new contract, say, "Can we do it going forward?" And Monaco will go, "No," and Liberty yeah. will say, "Oh, yeah. okay, then where do I sign?" Because, because yeah. Monaco, yeah, yeah, yeah. As we keep saying, because Monaco, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, next, Ben says, was it just me that noticed that after qualifying, signs pulled up in the P3 spot in Park Ferme despite qualifying in P4? Is this a Park Ferme violation and should he have had a penalty? Thanks for keeping the good work. I did not notice that. I didn't notice it, but my understanding is it doesn't it doesn't technically matter where you park. Like He may have received a fine for going to the wrong area, but he's still entering Park Ferme and the car's still under the same conditions yeah. no matter where that they're parked like i think the worst it'd be is like a slap on the wrist of you shouldn't have gone and parked there so do you think that was him <laughs> driving past leclerc's car in the wall and going yeah I'm, there's no way i'm starting fourth tomorrow <laughs> I, I suppose there could have been an element of that yeah <laughs> like yeah like that ain't gonna be on pole <laughs> yeah. i yeah. don't know about that i don't this is, that's an interesting one um it is just a parking space. I think it'd be yeah. pretty crappy if uh, he could get <laughs> yeah. a massive penalty for just stopping in a parking space. Free, I think he'd be a bit free. more frowned on if he finished on Sunday in fourth place and still parked up in the third place spot. Yeah. Yeah. That might not I mean, go down quite so well. I mean, it goes back to like incidents like Jensen Button winning the race for Braun and going to the normal, yeah, um, yeah, the, and then the normal the park for me or whatever after the race and then having to run down the pit straight because he should have driven to, to the end of the pit straight as a winner so yeah um, the one last one for this week is a bit of a hypothetical one and I know we've enjoyed these before so let's see what we think of this one um, Ryan F1 says do you think there are any changes you can make under the current formula and regulations that would make the Monaco race more exciting <sighs> for example a mandatory second stop I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's the solution. A mandatory second stop. Um, I don't think that make a huge difference. <laughs> Imposter <laughs> Nicky says, "Yeah, a new track." But <laughs> I think, like Martin Brundle put it really well over the race weekend, and that is, Formula One isn't just about a race at a track. It's about a season mm. of races, a, 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 a set of tracks all around the world, mm-hmm. and you've got different categories of track. You've got you know your old school circuits like um like spa you've got your sort of crown jewel events like monaco is and mm-hmm. then you've got your more modern circuits you've got other street circuits uh, monaco is a very special race for a number of reasons it's one of the oldest on the calendar and it's it is it's a different beast to what all the other yeah. tracks are. You've got to be a hundred percent concentrated, one hundred percent of the race weekend. Never mind the race itself. So, I think it's a special place. I don't think the circuit should change. I'm, it's largely remained the same, given you know if the odd sort of update, good yeah. new Velshkane, and like they've changed some little bits around. But because of the nature of the circuit, the fact that it's a street circuit, the Very track is do. more or less the same as what it was in nineteen what fifty, yeah, or even before then. So yeah, it's like thirty nine. I think the first race thirty nine. So like yeah. yeah. So I think Monaco has such a special place in so many people's hearts, and it's it's so different, and the cars look so different going around it that I. I I don't think it should change. I don't think there should be... It's still a Formula 1 race. There shouldn't. 
you know, be introducing special rules for Monaco or anything like that. Even though earlier in the podcast I did say that maybe we should have have <laughs> red flag rule for Monaco. But no, actually, I think <laughs> it's already special enough. We don't need to be changing rules to make it even more special. I think, yeah, I think the first thing you need to change is the cars, like... The cars, yeah, the issue, Formula E and Formula circuit, Two yeah. have proven that make the cars significantly smaller, and it's going to improve the show. Because F1 cars have been too big for years, in my opinion. They're like boats these days. They're huge, mm. um, big boats, <clears throat> big old boats. I think <laughs> I don't know. I part of me, part of me agrees with you. Like, and it is just like one event in a season, its own thing. But at the same time, like, like it's the Indy 500 next weekend. That's part of the Indy car season. But it also runs to a length that's different to the rest of the season. It has its own set of qualifying rules that are different to the rest of the season, and it's double points. And Stu's yawning at me, but like, I don't know. I I think there's <laughs> space to just like tweak the format a bit for different events to make I, the show I watched, a bit more interesting. I watched qualify. Well, no, I say watch qualifying. I had qualifying on for the Indy 500 yesterday because. You cannot. You no human being can sit and watch the entire qualifying for the. I say I'm. I'm not better advocate for six hours of qualifying. Yeah, like that's ridiculous. That's like a cricket match worth qualifying. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I I don't know, mate. Some people are highly dedicated to motorsport. I mean, I sit and watch every single moment of a British touring car weekend if I can, and that starts at like. 8am until 5pm is Tom, like, Tom, it's like Tom. working a full time there, there is watching a big BTCC difference. There, there is a big difference between quali- <laughs> 6 hours of qualifying for the Indy 500 watching yeah, however many cars going around an oval track to uh, an entire day or race weekend of British touring cars I suppose massive, there is that massive difference there was, um, <laughs> I don't know if they still do it or not I'm, I'm far from an Indy car expert but there was certainly at one point there was a format where a part of the weekend um, so IndyCar qualifying, it's, a, it's an average speed over four laps, I believe. Um, and it's only, yeah. they're basically only one car is doing a run at any one moment. Yeah. Like as, as one car is finished up their run, the other car. Because like, otherwise they'd slipstream each other. Exactly. And get yeah. Yeah. So I think the next, the next car comes on their outlap just as the other car's finishing. Yeah. But they had a format at one point, and I don't think they still do it, where anyone could queue up in the pit lane to go out and do another run to try and improve your speed but you had to just get in a queue of cars and it was a limited session time obviously but they had a second lane in the pit lane where you could get in the second lane go straight to the front of the queue and you were the next one out but if you use that lane all your previous times got deleted so wow. it had like a risk reward kind thing of, that is oh, kind of cool in yeah that is a really cool idea so like what a variable yeah really interesting um mm. But yeah, I don't know. I I can see both sides of the argument with Monaco. Um, I mean, there was talk a few years ago that they're doing like, again, this is an interesting thing that we talked about in the Discord while not much else was happening. They're doing like a lot of land reclamation in Monaco and oh, make, yeah. just making it bigger. There was talk a number of years ago of like, at the just before you go into the tunnel, using that new land to add an extra bit of the circuit and like stick a wider bit with a hairpin <laughs> to generate an overtaking point. Nope. No, I'm, no. I'm not, I wouldn't have been against that idea. No, no, not interested. Would you lose? Would you lose the tunnel though? Are you saying go down, do a hairpin, and come back? Yeah, to the yeah basically back that. up to the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Um, just make the cars able to race yeah, each that's, other. That's my yeah. answer. That's, that's, that's cars better. You don't. You don't need to literally geoform a city to <laughs> make 
like, a race better to make one day a year better in the city <laughs> playing like, sim city or city yeah. skylines to make you literally track. yeah yeah like <laughs> <sighs> i i just I, I, every it, it, it tires me this every year people you know every year there's always yeah. someone you yeah. always get a, a group of people on and i've got nothing against you know thank you ryan for you for your question it's an interesting question and it contributes and it makes us talk and that's why everyone's here listening but i i just think it's it's just part one part they can't all be bangers i say this all the time like the races not every race in a season is going to be a banger. Think, not every monaco race is going to be banger. some of them are when it rains it's amazing yeah so you know if, i think if the it other rained, thing we won't is be having this conversation though, like there is it, you, we've already said there's different aspects to it like the thing that I always take away from the pure appreciation of it is watching the just amazing precision and mental yeah. toll it has on yeah. those drivers. Like, I've, I I might be misquoting the numbers here, but I believe that it's something like 80 gear shifts per lap at Monaco and the next nearest is Silverstone that's 50-something. Yeah. That's, ne- <laughs> that's like nearly twice as many. On a lap, on the shortest lap in terms of distance, and the shortest race in terms of distance, like it's in, there's just it's a different experience, I think, and, and I think that's why sort of diehards do like it staying on the calendar because they they know that that extra challenge it brings and they appreciate that extra challenge it brings. But I also feel like other series do manage to race pretty well at Monaco still, and let's just hold off until we see the new aero oh, so, formula yeah, yeah. next year yeah. and, and i think where it's less of an issue maybe hopefully. that's an interesting point you made tom like maybe that's also an argument that like the presentation of the sport needs to think about that because we know that it's like how much of a challenge it is for the drivers and everything but mm. as a casual viewer watching that would any of that exactly. come across like maybe there's that like element to it as well um yeah well this yeah. is why you get it every year people pe- this is why people say oh it's a procession that's that's the standard line isn't it that yeah monaco race is a procession you can understand uh you know a new fan that's coming from drive to survive over the last couple of years like the, the races that have been treated to the last couple of years you can understand them getting to this race and just sort of going Oh, what happened yeah. to all the excitement yeah. I've been watching for the last couple of seasons? You, yeah. you make a really interesting point because definitely not not enough is done. I I feel not enough is done by the by Formula One media, I guess. Or, you know, the people around not necessarily from, but like just the media in mm. general around Formula One don't do enough to make clear how much make make enough of a point of how difficult the circuit is to drive. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of F one media is guilty of just being very look how much i know about formula one yeah yeah, yeah rather than let me communicate <laughs> to you about yeah, rather than yeah, i, rather I than feel like that was entertaining <laughs> are we getting two meter <laughs> i don't know I, I just feel like chris's point there was maybe directed at one specific person <laughs> within the f1 media community i couldn't possibly say <laughs> anyway uh, yeah that's a good time for me to just segue us towards the end um so that, Tom, it's not a segue if you say call, how many times? I'm allowed to describe <laughs> my segues if I want to describe them, Stu. This is my segue. There's now been hijacked by you. <laughs> uh, no, that is it for this week. Um, just a quick mention of our patrons. We've talked about it already, but there is a Discord that is Patreon exclusive. Uh, so you can head to patreon.com forward slash back of the grid if you're interested in joining. Um, any level of Patreon contribution 
gained you access to the Discord. Uh, but in particular, we always say a special thank you to our team principals who are Narayan Hamari, Alexia Jarvis, Mark McNeil and Wesley Paul. Um, I would like to read a message we got from Grayson Cessna. I hope I'm saying his name right. <laughs> but uh, the message was, I will be joining Patreon, if not only because when... Um, David pulled into Serena to steal Max's thunder. I was just desperate to know what was happening in that Discord chat. <laughs> I actually I think mean, it was stunned silence, if I remember right. We were all just, yeah. like, what is happening? I mean, as we've talked about, there's a lot of food and pets when it's not race time. So <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's more than just F1 yeah. in there, guys. <laughs> yeah, what there definitely isn't is reliable information. Uh, but yeah, that is it for this week. So uh, thanks to all our patrons, as always. Um, and thanks to everyone who listens. <laughs> I don't know I don't know where this is going. I can see chat evolving. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure yeah, just, if just, I want to wait and read. Take us out, take us out. End it, end it. Okay, end it. that's it. Say goodbye, boys. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>